welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we learn from those doing good in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the world, why they care, what we can do, and most importantly, what you, the listeners, can do. Pod for Good is produced and edited by Random Productions, which is me. You know the part I'm going to say next. I'm easy to find. Podcasts are awesome. Pod for Good can be found anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, so if you enjoy what we do here, please share it on social media and give us a review, unless it's going to be a three-star one where you don't write anything. We don't need any more of those. One is enough. Uh, Ratings without uh, comments are useless. Yes, thank you, Chris. Uh, I am your chief philanthropod and class clown for justice, ain't nothing but a pod thing, Jesse Ulrich. And I'm your vice admiral philanthropod and class clown for justice, fairy pod brother, Chris Miller. And in today's episode, we are talking with the pod mother herself, Marcia Bruno Todd. And she's here in the room with us while we're recording the intro. So, hello. Hello. How's it going? I'm going pretty well. And I also have my, my son here with me. Gestating. Yes, gestating. <laughs> you like saying gestating, don't you? I do. There's not enough people need to normalize the word gestating. It's That's true. what's going on. Yeah. So yeah, full full on, what is it? Seven and a half months pregnant. Maybe eight. I don't know. I, I can't tell. That's I'm, a lot of pregnant. Yeah. That's almost like 85% pregnant. I, don't know. I guess in that, and this is a question for our friend Jeremy, is like on the month scale of pregnant, do you start off at zero and go to 100? Or like, it does a, like, are you 100% pregnant when the baby is born? I would think you would be 0% pregnant right? when the baby well, is born. And that, that you see this right here? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we need sexual health education yeah. in Oklahoma. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we were, ta- <laughs> we were taught, don't do it. I'm like, real effective, guy. real effective, coach. So, yeah, that's right. Anyway, uh, so the, the mother of this ridiculous podcast and our friend and my mentor, Marcia. We're going to have a plastic mason jar. That's all I had here. Oh, it's plastic. <laughs> it's plastic, yeah. Oh, fancy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Didn't notice. Yes, yeah, so you can't throw it and break it. Mm, darn. Chris. Um, Challenge accepted. Yeah. So I know that you're very close to being done gestating your new son. We won't ask, we, we won't ask what his name's going to be yet, but I'm curious. La- the last time we had you on technically was our second year anniversary show, but you kept running in and out to help guests get into the building. So we, we didn't actually get a chance to talk to you about this our podcast that we've been doing for three and a half ish years now wow wow i know it's been a lot of a lot of my time editing these things these wonderful conversations we've had Mm -hmm. but you are now deputy director of Mm -hmm. leadership tulsa since the really the last time we interviewed you was pre-covid right before my thrive showcase before this podcast was launched i would like to i would like to discuss the idea and the purpose behind leadership after all the things we've just gone through and like how leadership Tulsa itself has changed during that time. Ooh, okay. Getting serious. So super, yeah. super shallow conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, this is, this is exciting. We're ready for it. We're ready for it. I guess here's a question since I don't, I, I work for myself now. I don't have a boss that I have to report to. Just rub it in. Okay. Listen, it's, it's not as great as it sounds. <laughs> how has, I mean, I, honestly, how do you get managed remotely i guess is one of the questions i have and chris can probably answer this too oh that's right because you're doing the whole corporate life yeah yeah Yeah. well i'm going to tell you something that worked and didn't work how about that sure and what we've kind of coached some of our nonprofits and small businesses coming our way but what we've done here at leadership tulsa we have adopted something called results only work environment it sounds cool until people's biases and perceptions get in the way. So there is a little bit of a, there's a rub. So it, even though it sounds great where the genuine, the general premise is that you trust people to do the job that they're doing, regardless of where they are. They don't need to have their butt in a seat in front of you, staring at you, smiling to get their job done. They can get it done maybe late at night. They can get it done early in the morning, before they walk their dog, feed their kid, whatever it may be. They can get it done at a coffee shop. They can get it done at their house. Now, this works in theory when two things happen. Number one, you trust your employees and you have explicit expectations. And it's not necessarily a job that requires you to be physically there, right? So if it's emergency room welcoming people, I think you need to be physically there, right? Like that's not something you can't do remotely. 
But some of the work that we're doing here at Leadership Tulsa, which is coordinating communications with some of our program participants, connecting with some of our clients that do consultancy work, or checking in as, as coaches whenever we have board interns going through that board internship process. That's a phone call. That's an email. That's a Zoom. That's a Teams. Do we need to do that physically together right next to each other at a desk at the Leadership Center? No, we could do that where we live, work, and play in Tulsa, throughout Tulsa. Again, sounds exciting, but where we've kind of struggled is whenever I have certain expectations and biases and I don't explicitly explain those to my team that I'm managing or vice versa, when I'm managing up, I've got my supervisor assuming that, oh, I know Marcia got this done, but I haven't seen Marcia in a week. And then that creeps in. Does that mean Marcia's not working? Well, no, you got the projects done, but I haven't seen Marcia in a week. Okay. And then you wonder the person that you do see every single day in front of you, you start giving them more credibility or more uh, credit, even though if you were to look at, you know, the, the work output, it's either the same or perhaps even less. And it's just because they're physically there, that bias of you've seen that person, you can check in and pop into their office. So for a manager, if you're doing results-only work environment, you got to do the hustle and basically check in with your employees, your team members in the way that makes the most sense for them to address whatever biases and assumptions you may have. I don't know. I haven't heard from Chris. <laughs> Is he just chilling at home? <laughs> check in with him and then ask him, how do you want me to check in with you? Mm -hmm. By the way, Chris, I'm going to be honest with you. I think you're just chilling at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How? What, what kind of cadence should we have in our check-ins? What makes sense? Yeah. I know I'm oversimplifying it, but I'm just kind of giving you a general context of it works really great. It supported our employees in a really great way. I've seen nonprofits do it really well. I've seen some small businesses do it really well. And where people get in trouble is whenever there are those assumptions and biases, instead of me just calling Chris because I think he's not working and just I just want to check in on him. Hey, are you OK? Is everything OK? Are you working? I haven't seen you in a while. Instead of doing that, I'm just going to assume Chris isn't working and I'm going to write him off. Or I'm going to figure out a way to to get rid of them, right? And that's that's where we get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Is like we really just need to call in, call ourselves as managers, hold ourselves accountable whenever we do have assumptions and biases and actually check it with data. And that's kind of what I would say. I said a lot. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Chris? Corporate I mean, world. I I I think a lot of what you said applies to the corporate world as well. I honestly think why a lot of we'll say more established people in the corporate environment don't like work from home as much is it because it requires leaders and managers to work harder when it comes to supporting their teams because they do have to be intentional about checking in they have to be intentional about managing to productivity rather than a schedule and i i've just seen in in my experience over the last couple of years seeing that the people that struggle with it are the people who are used to managing to a schedule they're used to managing to people being at a desk from eight to five. They're not used to managing specifically on productivity and output. So that doesn't mean that there aren't certain biases around output and productivity as well, like you already mentioned. But I, I've really enjoyed what, where we've kind of settled now, where we're kind of in a hybrid environment where we spend some days in the office, some days at home. We try to have our more collaborative sessions that can be more effective in person. We try to do those on the days when everybody's in the office and everything else. Those can be when people are working from home. And that's a good point that you mentioned. We, we grow whenever we're working alongside each other. Like there's a certain level of synergy where I can provide healthy disruption or assumptions to others and people can provide their ideas to me too. And there's creativity that can come from that innovation. But then I just thought about Jesse. <laughs> Jesse's that student. Remember when he went through Thrive? Mm -hmm. Well, well, you know, you went through it differently. But anyway, Jesse, if there's ever, he, you explained yourself as the student that would always find the exception. Like mm -hmm. what the rule was and yep. what was the mm -hmm. escape mm -hmm. of that rule yep. to push it, like the gap. Just like that, there's Jesse's out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's, you, there's people that are going to cheat the system, the rule. When it comes to productivity with your, your butt in a seat in the office, they're playing what mahjong on on this computer screen or what is it uh, the cards 
Solitaire. I was like, what is that thing? Oregon Trail. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> but like they're, they, they, they do that. And yet they're still feeling I'm supposed to be here from nine to five. They're not doing anything of pro- right. You know, production right there. And then you've got also the people from home that has figured out how to train their cat to touch the mouse <laughs> like every 90 minutes to yeah. say that their computer is doing oh, they, something. I mean, they have, they have programs it's, for that now that just move your mouse every, every I think it's like every 15 seconds. Um, it's a thing. But you, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say? So I think, unfortunately, what I don't want, and I think that what's being framed when it comes to this working from home environment or hybrid or results only working environment is people are planning for the people that are abusing the rule, mm-hmm. that extreme. And it goes back to the core. You got to trust people. They're doing what they're doing. And if they're not, then you need to also kind of reconsider how you hire people and what kind of work do you have? Is it worthwhile for them to truly be invested in that work as well? I mean, I think it exacerbated the the issue of bad management in organizations is that managers feel like they had to be doing something. And if they're they don't know how to manage, I would say, in, in a good, productive way, they're like, well, I need to look like I'm doing something. So I'm going to make sure everyone is either working from nine to five or is here from nine to five. Right. And not, not thinking about results, thinking about their own results and the way they have to defend themselves to their own bosses Mm -hmm. instead of just doing the job of helping the people you are managing do the best work they can do. Well, and, and what we're finding is that you, unless, as you said, it's a job that has to be physically there, right? A teller can't work from home, right? There are some some positions, you know, somebody who works in a cash vault, they have to be physically there. But for other positions, if you want to be able to recruit and retain the best people, you can't be 100% in office anymore. Because now we're in an environment where we're not just competing with the best companies in Tulsa anymore. Companies from all over the country and even all over the world are allowing people to stay where they are, make a salary above what what the region would normally make and work from home. So when you're competing with that, you can't be someone who says, okay, we're going to pretend like the pandemic didn't happen. We're going to go back to what we did before. And I think that's a good point. I know that there's a lot of articles and research out there right now, preliminary research that could argue completely opposite of what both Chris and I are saying here today. But I like that Chris is bringing in from his lived experience, bringing in mine. I just finished the opportunity to interview Tulsa Service Year Fellows. And that's a phenomenal program, Google it, that we have here in Tulsa, where we get to recruit these phenomenal, brilliant college graduates from across the country and also locally who want to make some sort of impact in the community sector, basically nonprofit sector or public sector or even in social entrepreneurship. And they want to do it here in Tulsa for a year. What a sweet gig. I wish that existed when I was younger yeah. because mm-hmm. you get this guaranteed salary for a, a job that's giving you real world experience right after college that might inform your master's program moving forward or it informs your direction career wise. And you know that you're not just getting with a host site that's your employer and you're getting that employee employer experience, but you're in a cohort where you could work together and problem solve. Is this how you talk to your manager? This is what's going on. How do I advocate for myself? What are, what kind of benefits are th- those things that young people need to learn that? I mean, it just now in my 30s, I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, in that interview process, it was so cool that I got several fellows, candidates in their interviews and then also in follow up emails asking me, is there any wiggle room with a salary? And of course, I have to tell them no, because it's a fellowship and mm-hmm. everybody has to have you know that sense of equity. But then what were they asking were the benefits and all of them were were something related to what is the work culture and environment? Is this a working from home? Is this hybrid? Is there a dedicated workspace? And can I also is there flexibility from working remotely from other places throughout Tulsa? What a cool thing. And that's mm-hmm. a perfect that'll just I'm just sharing with you my, my lived experience. This just happened mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And these this is the the new crop yeah. of leaders straight out of college. And that's what they're asking for. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see how that works in um, cert- service industry sectors. My wife just did a recruiting event actually at OSU for their hospitality school and talking to the young people who are coming up out of that program who have now come up in an environment where there is work from home, but in some sectors like hospitality, 
it's it doesn't really work, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's difficult to be a manager of a team when 100% of your team has to be physically in in a building every single day. If you're working at home the entire time, it's hard to, you know, build build a relationship mm-hmm. with them. So seeing how that how that evolves over time, how effective you can manage those sort of situations if people are going to be more in the office, out of the office and how they're going to Managed or or are we going to compensate differently? Hmm? The less freedom you have of where you get to work, is there higher compensation? Yeah. The higher risk you have to manage, is there higher compensation? Mm-hmm. I think that's a whole conversation altogether. Way yeah. to kick us off. Super light, yeah. easy conversation, yeah. Jesse. Listen, got, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we've had enough of the three of us amongst each other have had, have had all the conversations, the sort of intro into serious conversation conversations. We've already right. had those. I have one that I wanted to bring up, Ooh. both with your experience with Leadership Tulsa and your experience in positions prior to that. But it seems like more and more leadership and um, diversity, equity, and inclusion are becoming linked together. It's hard to do real, effective leadership and leadership training without that. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious with your experience, uh, both from when you worked in college for OSU and now how you've seen that evolved and if if it feels like it's getting where you think it should be. Ooh, this is a this is a juicy question and also a political one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in our state right now. Uh fair. At fair. this moment. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to answer it as authentically as I can. That's fair. Is that helpful? That that is. To yes. share that there are limitations. Yes. And how I answer that. Listen, if we have to bleep out that your entire answer, we can do that. <laughs> it's just one long. <laughs> no, no. But I think, yes, I think that I'm going to give you my my two cents. How about that? Sure. And then from there, I can give you based off of research, what I've observed anecdotally, but then also what some of the practitioners across our community have said. My two cents is people are changing. Our demographics are changing. Our demographics, when it comes to there's just more variance another word, diversity, (laughs) but there's just more variance in a workforce right now. Like a team is going to have Gen Z through potentially Boomer, right? Right? Mm -hmm. So just don't think of like all those. There's even a few gold of the golden generation out there still. Retire already. (laughs) I welcome all. See that I did not. (laughs) I don't agree with that sentiment because we need all the intergenerational leadership matters. But anyway, Mm -hmm. that being stated, so you've got a workforce already with many different generations, Mm -hmm. many different experiences and expectations. I mean, somebody that literally their access to a computer was something the size of this room or a calculator versus people that have been raised with a computer on their phone, right? Mm-hmm. Their whole lives. And I just reference Oregon Trail. And other than the two of you, I Woo! think we're, Oregon like, Trail, baby. we're yeah. considered what? Geriatric millennials. Yeah. That's our I, term. Also, I, Oregon, Oregon, the, Trail, the Oregon Trail generation, that which is, is 1978 to 1982. That is a is term it, used. The, is the, it, the people who were old enough to remember a pre-internet, pre-computer age and then have to embrace it instantaneously. We know different things oh. about technology than someone born like 1985. So that wasn't me then. I'm younger than you all. Um, my, me was maybe because I went to a uh, underfunded small Catholic school and we still played the Oregon Trail. Yeah. Okay, yeah. maybe that's what happened. Okay. Could be. <laughs> Who else was on their Oregon Trail team uh, for their school? Shout out. That was me. Anyway. <laughs> what was the, the thing that you died from all a the dysentery. time? Dysentery. Dysentery. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Dang it. It didn't matter who you were, whether you were the banker, the farmer, the other guy. It always felt so wasteful, too, when you would uh, kill the buffalo or the bear because it was more meat than you could carry. And you just had to leave it behind. By the way, they remade Oregon Trail and wanted to make it a little more diverse. Like you you interact with indigenous peoples more often and whatnot. And one of the things they did is you can turn that extra meat into like belts and pelts that you can sell. Like it's not all wasted now. I'm like, thank you, game. Because they did. I mean. I should say white people probably didn't, but people did use the other parts of the animals they killed. I think I think we need to have an Oregon Trail discussion and a different podcast, <laughs> yeah. but with our like tribal leaders and yes. indigenous oh, representation yeah. leaders that we have, so we can hear from their perspective too. Because I feel like <laughs> there's a little <laughs> there's a little bit of uh... the, 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 listen. There's some I guess you'd call it uh, indigenous face in the game for sure, but they were trying. That's oh, is my point. Oh, the new one. Yeah, the new one. Yeah, yeah. No, not the old one. The old one was 
Super racist. Either way, <laughs> it's still glorifying Manifest Destiny, which yep. is a way that white people use to steal land from yeah. our indigenous people. So yep. at its baseline, there's, a, yeah, there's it's, some it's problematic things. It's problematic, things problematic about for it. sure. <laughs> at its baseline, it was probably. Okay, so we've got people that play the Oregon Trail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people that don't find it problematic and then people that do. You yeah. see that? Like that would be like, that's the, the variance, the diversity yeah. in the workplace. And then on top of that, you have an increase diversity when it comes to more multicultural people and families. And then on top of that, you have the diversity when it comes to folks that are um, coming from different countries, immigrating here, are one of our largest and fastest growing populations across the United States is the the Latinx, Latina, Hispanic population. And even then, that's a diaspora of people. Hmm. And then you have people that are now more open or perhaps now have had an opportunity to be more visible. I don't want to say maybe more open, but have the opportunity to more, be more visible, whether it's media, Hollywood, whatever that may be, when it comes to like accessibility, different, different abled bodies and things like that. When it comes to gender identity and sexuality, I think what was the recent poll that I had seen, uh, oof, you don't even want to quote me, but maybe Google and we'll find out what happens. But it was like the Gen Alpha Generation, it's like one in five identifies LGBTQIA. It's a big one. Mm -hmm. And now I can say, according to a recent meeting that I had with governor's representatives here in the state of Oklahoma, one in five Oklahomans are Hispanic, Latine. That's also a big one. I mean, I can't yeah. say that that wasn't the case 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's that. All of those variances, what we've been learning in the classroom on management school and MBA or whatever it may be, doesn't serve us anymore. People are coming in with a whole new set of languages and expectations and life experiences, and we have to learn how to lead across lines of difference. Because at the end of the day, we still need a really great healthcare system. We still need a really great education system. And we, are, we have a, an education force, workforce, that grossly does not represent the cultural identities of mm -hmm. the students in which they're teaching right now. Yeah. And they have to learn how to teach across lines of difference too. We're past that observation of everybody's the same. We're all human. Yes, we need to have the humanity of each other. But if you don't acknowledge that Jesse learns differently than me, and when you give him, like you talked about the Oregon Trail reference, might not it might not resonate with somebody else. If you mm -hmm. don't acknowledge that, then you're not an effective teacher. Mm -hmm. You're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're only going to hit a small percentage of your class, right? Um, so that's kind of what I'm going to say. Yeah. So to be fair, just by, my two cents is just how humanity has evolved, how we have now different variances, how we've migrated throughout the country. We have to consider to be effective leaders. DE&I is no more niche or something fun. Oh, I got a cool certification, guys. No, it's how do you effectively lead? Yeah. I'm going to think of my college recruitment days. I, I hold, and this is just kind of like back in the day, thinking of most college recruitment plans. It still kind of exists today, which is unfortunate. They have, I need your help. There's the college recruiters from undergraduate admissions will then partner with some sort of specific office that does DE&I in, in the university. Or somebody that's specifically maybe like a Hispanic student coordinator or something like, I need your help recruiting these students. I'm sorry. The population of just, we'll say Tulsa Public Schools, is now majority students that are not white. Mm -hmm. And the largest student group in Tulsa Public Schools is Hispanic Latine students. It'll be like 38% or something like that. So what you're telling me is, is that you're hiring and training recruiters that can't recruit potentially 38% of the student population in one of the biggest markets in our state. That's not effective recruiting. It's not a mm -hmm. DEI niche. No, you just yep. now, that, just to be an effective recruiter, you need to learn mm -hmm. how to be relevant. And that's kind of what I'd push, right? Like that's, again, not throwing one particular university under the bus or the other. This is all. Yep. <laughs> no longer is it a DEI department. It's how can you become an effective recruiter? Your market may have parents that speak different languages. What was relevant to recruiting Chris from, oh, you were from Suburban. Broken Arrow, yeah. Broken Arrow. 
recruiting Chris from Broken Arrow, who is not first generation college. No. Is going to be different mm -hmm. than what would be recruiting Eulogio, who's from Mountain View, Godibo, and is for gener first generation college, but his parents are, you know, they immigrated here, they own their own business, and they're about to allow their firstborn who might inherit the family business mm -hmm. to go travel all the way to what either OU or Oklahoma State or whatever it may be. That if you don't know, both are valid, phenomenal mm -hmm. students. You have to learn how to speak that language of what would be relevant. How do you yep. sell Oklahoma State or OU or TU or Cameron or whatever it may be to be relevant? Does that make sense? If yep. not, then you're basically leaving yep. behind a good chunk of your yep. clients. Yeah. And, your, <laughs> the market. Yeah. And similarly, from a corporate perspective, um, we found that it wasn't, it was also a case where we kept going back to the same universities and were missing universities that were, that had a higher percentage of uh, minority students. And we were wondering why we couldn't, you know, uh, recruit enough minority candidates to have a company that looked like the community we served. So our recruiting organization completely changed how they chose which areas to recruit, which universities to go to. I mean, it's kind of um, similar from a corporate perspective. If you don't train people to be able to effectively communicate with all of the different groups that they want to recruit, then they'll they'll never successfully recruit them. They're not effective at their job. Yeah. I mean, how just... I can only treat 36% of the type of humans that come in here as a medical <laughs> doctor. What? Yeah. yeah. I mean, demographic wise, like this doesn't make sense. So mm -hmm. we have to work. And again, if we acknowledge the diversity of how people learn, how people process, how people communicate, it's not that far of a difference yeah. when we're thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion. Now, unfortunately, it's become a politicized statement, a phrase, mm -hmm. you know, DEI, the indoctrination of what's happening, uh, anti-American. How hurtful is that? How hurtful is that? Because I'm thinking of just the generations of military service that's in my family. Mm -hmm. And the same people that are fighting for statehood, you know, of my island to be part of this great America, you know, the United States of America. And at the same time, would love a piece of their history taught and honored in the history books, because so much of what beyond what's being taught of like, oh, Hamilton and Encanto were made by a Puerto Rican guy, you know, like, no, I mean, we're more than that. Yeah, that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't tie together. And we're thinking. So I think this I, I got a little bit off off topic when it comes philosophically. But I would say that to answer your question originally, Chris, yes, it's intertwined. Unfortunately, because of the climate, maybe it's all connotation and nuance and we need to change our words. And that's fine. Call it whatever you want. Diversity, equity, inclusion, fine. Variance, being effective communicators and connecting with building community and the people in which you're serving. Listen, changing the name won't help. They'll just turn that into but, whatever. That I think the, the point is, and again, facts don't necessarily matter in certain arguments, but the again, I got in trouble for saying this over the weekend at a thing I was moderating, which is like, you, you can't have a state that passes a law saying you have to teach the Holocaust. At the same time, you have a state saying you can't teach about the Tulsa race massacre. I'm like, you, one, they're, they're the same thing. The lesson's the same. Yeah. And if, if, if you truly believe that you don't want your white Christian students to be uncomfortable in their history classes, then you can't teach history. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I'm, I'm all for, like, finding a different way of phrasing it to try to move past whatever we're going through right now. But we also have to, I think, be open to the fact that some people just don't want to hear the things that they disagree with. And even in business, when it's shown that a more diverse team is more productive, like helps with profits and whatnot, just like in all the studies that show that immigrants pay more taxes and are good for your economy, like people don't, either they don't care or they don't want to listen, right? I will say that the people at the top of corporations that actually make money when a company is more profitable even if it's only from pure self-interest, a lot of them are substantially changing. The downside is they're not using that power to get the politicians to change mm -hmm, what they're mm -hmm. doing and saying, but within a lot of the corporations themselves, they are changing, maybe slower than they should. But because they are 
they answer to their stockholders and their stockholders want to make more money. And if a more diverse board, a more diverse uh, employee base, if more diverse customers, more diverse vendors means that they make more money, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. It just may take longer. And I think it's interesting that you say that because, again, at the end of the day, everybody's motive is different. It's not always beautiful and humane. So, I mean, it's it's maybe it's money, maybe it's survival, whatever it may be. That's humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, love it or leave it. This is our, our community. Sometimes we're ugly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, the philosophical argument about whether true altruism exists. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it does. I think every, <laughs> even people who do good things for good reasons, they do that because it makes them feel good. And that technically mm-hmm. is not altruistic. And I'm okay with that. Like, right. it's okay if you feel good helping people do good things. Like, mm-hmm. that's okay. You're, you're, you, don't, you shouldn't feel guilty for liking good work, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to share like something just that you talked about, the, the CEOs mm-hmm. and that top level. So here's the reality. You said, how do we teach the Holocaust, but not the Tulsa Race Massacre? Now I'd argue that they weren't the same, but it is an ugly lesson. I think that that ugly lesson exists, that there's an in-group and an out-group, and they can easily dehumanize a fellow human <laughs> and say, your life isn't worth keeping alive right now. I don't know how else to, to frame yeah. it. So yes, I agree. I would say the same with the CEO and self-interest. Let's look at it this way. We're in a state right now where, uh, and it's not Oklahoma specifically, but it's just a sentiment. There's a, there was a movement across our, our country where the training that would help a teacher understand how to maybe properly pronounce a student's name or how to ask it, how to just build that bridge so that student can start trusting that teacher, that, that piece, that difference is now in question saying it's some sort of indoctrination or if it's like you're making the teacher feel uncomfortable. But imagine that student who's for years felt uncomfortable and trying to speak up and say, you're saying my name wrong. Mm -hmm. That was me. It didn't take, but like, I mean, I think I shared this with you my last interview a long time ago. Was it with you? It was with somebody. (laughs) It was with somebody here. It was Jesse was also editing something. Probably. But there was this inner, basically just sharing that it, it wasn't until... I mean, I had an entire K through 12 experience. The majority of it was in parochial, private Christian or Catholic schools throughout Oklahoma, Southwest Oklahoma, great people. Uh, Not only did I have a good foundation when it comes to just the Christian faith and understanding the Bible, but I also know how to diagram the hell out of the sentences in the Bible, right? (laughs) Like I can understand the root cause, like the root Latin words, Greek words, throw a spelling word at me and I got it, right? Mm -hmm. I can understand infinitive phrases, all that. Anyway, never once did people pronounce my name properly. Matter of fact, I, I had apologized for my name being too difficult to say. Like I apologized for my existence. I thought that I had to start with an apology. And it wasn't until my freshman year at Oklahoma State University, Dr. Jim Davis, political science professor from the Rio Grande Valley of Texas with a thick, thick Southern accent. And he stopped the entire class to say, but no, how do you pronounce your name? Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Whatever you want. No, no, no. This is your name. I want to respect you. How do you pronounce your name? And he stopped. I mean, he practiced back and forth. It was super awkward because, I mean, this is a class of like 120 people or so. Mm-hmm. And it meant a lot to me. And that's when I started shifting my perspective. But it's, a, it's absurd to think that it took that. I mean, that's my entire academic career. And it wasn't until basically, and again, I'm not, and it's not a white or a person of color issue. I mean, this was a white man that helped see my value. Like he helped point that out to me. I didn't, he told me that I didn't have to apologize for my existence in my name. And I deserve correcting people to say my name properly. Right now, that training for teachers is what's also in question because it'll make teachers uncomfortable. You're going to make me stop and do things that are making me uncomfortable. Why do I have to? You know what? Your name is Marcy, right? But at the same time, is that training uncomfortable? You've got big CEOs and corporations like, okay, you've got students right now that have teachers that are either refusing to say their name properly, honoring them by that, or even refusing to talk to their parents because they just assume it's just going to be too hard. I'm not going to use the translation line or I don't know how to say their person's name. I'm going to have their brother translate for me or I'll send something to them. They're going to go to Walmart down the street right now. And there's even a bigger aisle. Before it used to be this cute little, little row 
of Latin American foods, Hispanic foods, international cuisine. Now we have a good aisle of Goya products, of like different sazon. So y'all know we are a market and you want my money. And when you see Walmart, like Walmart, they're the ones like they, they're changing things. The hair products are different. And I mean, it, that shows me when I'm going into a community and I see their local just general grocery store, not a specific niche one. And they have a whole new aisle that's more and more maybe like Hispanic Latina foods. I know that you're acknowledging we're a market here. Mm-hmm. We have money. You need them. You need the money. You like my money. You know, I'll spend it. So I'm good enough for you to have improperly pronounced Goya. But I'm not good enough for my kiddo to have his name properly pronounced in school. And I know that seems like really extreme, but I wanted to share you that share with you that that's the the juxtaposition in which we're living in. Right. You've got corporate acknowledging the market. You've got workforce development in a state that is that is bleeding opportunities because we aren't retaining phenomenal workforce and talent. And at the same time, you've got a kid in a classroom that can't just tell you, hey, my name is Marcia, not Marcy. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, no, it's okay. I'm going to help you pronounce my name, you know, or have or equipping a teacher on how to ask how to pronounce a name, right? Like that just, it doesn't match up. It just doesn't match up. So again, we try to give people sort of point them in the direction of what people can do to help. Because this is, this, is this is one of those issues that is like, you once you start noticing it, you notice it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it is hard to tell people one thing they can do. But we are in a state where people who, I would say, want to do the things you're mentioning are either in the minority or aren't electing the people who would do those, put those things into practice. So what do we, as Oklahomans, do to Ooh. fix this? I like this because I want to tell you it's more than just red and blue. It's more than Republican and Democrat. And I know you're like, okay, Marcia, but no, I'm telling you it is because I think I've told you all before and it's okay that I'm going to say it on the podcast because I live authentically is that I am an equal opportunity mm, precautious person. I'm going to question people's intentions because at the end of the day, if we're thinking about history, neither political party system was made for me in mind. And my family, my community, sometimes it's just the people in power, right? So I think at the same time, inversely, there's phenomenal, equitable leaders, both in the Republican and Democratic Party. I think, so I want to push that. And I want to take away from this idea of, of media pushing one party over another. And if you're going to be somebody with a heart and vote for your conscience, you're going to vote blue. If you're going to care about, you know, being loyal to our country, you're going to vote red. No. Again, no, <laughs> that's no, that, that, that doesn't change what is happening in my neighborhood, in my community down the street. At the end of the day, we're, we are we are all in this this issue together. Right. If there's like me and I think there's an opportunity for more cross party lines, collaboration in municipal government, like mayoral races, city council, authority boards and commissions, because that's where a lot of the work happens. And it's not what you see in the media. So what I would say, whether you're Republican or Democrat, great. I'm going to hold both y'all accountable. And I hope you do the same for yourselves and for each other. Whether you're Republican or Democrat or independent, I think the best thing we could do is lean in with curiosity and not assume we know everything. And if you disagree with somebody presenting some information to you, the first gut reaction should be to listen a little harder. Because in some way, they do hold a piece of truth that you might not necessarily agree with. And it's also what you would want them to do for you. So I think we need to continue to go back, like circle all the way back to Chris's a question about DEI and leadership. No, I think effective leadership right now and what we can do every day is practice those models of asking more questions, trying to get to know people that are different than us, think differently than us, and have a different experience. If they're the ones that are putting on Facebook something that's just, why? Why? I don't understand. Check in and talk to them. 
granted, I mean, with consent and safety in mind and all that kind of stuff. Because at the truth of it, and that's something that we teach at Leadership Tulsa, is that there's always, when it comes to an issue, and this is if you want to Google it, adaptive leadership theory under like Heifetz and Linsky, is everybody, there's around an issue, there's going to be different factions and stakeholders. And on that, they have their own loyalties as it relates to that issue, their own values as it relates to that issue. And those two are informed by their life experiences, their context. I can't hold you accountable for not knowing my life experience, and I hope you don't hold me accountable for not knowing what it's like to live in Broken Arrow. It's the worst. I did not say that. (laughs) Anyway, that being stated, but they also have something called vulnerabilities as it relates to that issue. Perceived loss. What are they protecting? What are they afraid afraid of losing? If we acknowledge that there is some sort of loss at the core of any any change, excuse me, any change, then that will that's where we can see each other's humanity and maybe get a little bit further when it comes to communicating across lines of difference, cross party lines, and developing effective policies in our state. Because if at the core is there's people that are fighting hardcore with taking away DEI training in the schools, right? Critical race theory in the schools, and at the core you've got people fighting for no, I, I want more of that so my child could be seen. If we were to talk, I think, across both our parents, maybe, and from a core human level as a parent, I would love to hear from another parent from a different perspective. And maybe at, at it all is just thinking, I just want to make sure my son, my daughter, my child is, is respected in the school and they're not being taught to hate themselves in a way. And I, and I can hear that argument from the people that are, anti-critical race theory and anti-DE&I in schools. I, I actually connect with that very loss because at the same reason, that's why I'm on the other side. I want just my child to be protected and loved and not feel shamed for who they are at the school. You know, like if we don't acknowledge that together, yeah. there yeah. wouldn't be movement forward. And I should have said this with my earlier point, like the, the reason why I think if you're going to, you know, legislate that people need to be taught the Holocaust, but not, you know, things that happen locally, you're missing the most important thing, which is giving people history that they can relate to that involves places they know and understand and people they may know, right? Because mm-hmm. if, you, if, you, if you talk about people hating people in a, from a distance, that is not as effective as like naming streets that they, that they drive on and they walk on where something horrible happened. There's, there's a reason why like in Germany, the way they instruct the Holocaust is they use, they say, we did this, not the Nazis did this, we Right. And that's much more effective. Mm-hmm. And so and, and the fact that like high schoolers aren't actually learning critical race theory, that's only a like graduate level discussion. But we lost that argument anyway, which is annoying to me. Facts don't matter. I know. Like, g- God forbid we look at something critically. Anyway, mm-hmm. like, the amount of time Chris and I have said critical thinking. Right. And the lack of teaching students how to mm-hmm. think critically. Like, that's one of the most important things you can do for a person is, is teach them how to stick with a question. With, with a sticky issue for a while and think about all of its permutations and mm-hmm. all of its issues. Mm. And again, th- that's my own bias of being Jewish comes into it because we are a religion of questions. And so I'm, I'm comfortable being uncomfortable in that. And that's something I was trained to be. Oh, that's mm. why you thrived at Thrive. Yes. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Leaning in with curiosity. Mm-hmm. I hear that in your language. I definitely hear that. And it's uh, when I was a teacher in high school, I thought, I want you to be critical consumers of anything you learn. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's how true knowledge and innovation happen, right? Yeah. For, before it was art or magic or exagger I don't know, just fantasy. And then it until it was proven into some sort of scientific method and then it became science. So there's still things right now that are still fantasy or sci-fi and just wait a couple of years with the scientific mm-hmm. method experimentation whatever maybe yeah. it ends up being science i mean yeah. ap- apparently the earth's core can just stop moving it doesn't cause any problems which <laughs> blew my mind i'm like it spins in a different direction yeah anyway i've been i've been deep in the story it, <laughs> deep, wow. thank you. i was like oh my god like is are we turning into the mo- the plot of the movie the core and apparently we are but it's fine like it's we don't have to do anything that's so. good no i i i think that one of the things that has I probably used the most in my day to day that I learned at Thrive was speaking to loss on change, mm-hmm. because it's amazing how many people that if you just give them the opportunity and really truly listen to their concerns about change, how many of them will actually come around and be a proponent 
of the change that so many people just want to be heard and listened to and acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And just doing that makes a profound difference. And then you acknowledging your own loss. Mm -hmm. I mean, that connection is important, too. I think that's imp- that's neat. All oh, you learned. <laughs> Listen, that, growing like up in Broken three Arrow. Three or four yeah. years later. Okay. Thank growing you. up in Broken Arrow Still was a disadvantage. So. I, you know what? I just want you to know my Broken Arrow friends, I'm here for you. <laughs> Get I support out. you. I welcome you. Listen, you, you talk to somebody who lives in Broken Arrow. They don't want to live there either. So. <laughs> Jesse, it helped made you who you are. It, it's, it's I guess in some story. way it It's did. a chapter in it's, your life. It's true. Like growing up Jewish in Broken Arrow is definitely part of my story. So <laughs> yeah, go. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So thanks, BA. Mm-hmm. Thanks for making me one of two Jews in a school of 2,000 students. <laughs> so it was great. <laughs> so, okay, we are, we are approaching, we are approaching wrap up time. So, you know, we are. Great segue. I feel like it just, it was, it just blinked. It, yeah. it, Y'all it, asked some juicy questions that we didn't even ask. I know you have a list of 30 plus or something and we just asked two. Okay, we, have a, we haven't prepped for an interview in years. Um, <laughs> but that's because Chris and I are, we have, through this process and through Leadership Tulsa, like we have, we are now trained to think critically about who we're talking to, what they do. And because we are open to new things, we kind of already, either we know what we're going to ask or through the conversation, we figure out what we're, what, what we're going to mm-hmm. ask. And so... So that's my question. I'm going to shift to you. Can yeah, I turn it around? Sure. Like that. Yeah. Turn it. It's my podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> Is You've now done this three and a half years? Three, yeah. Three-ish. Yeah. Three, three plus. Three, three and some. Three plus. Is three it plus. that little, that the wiggly thing in math? Yeah, yeah. Approximate? <laughs> Approximate. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Chris would know. I would not. I, okay. <laughs> we Till all day. have our strengths. What was that? Tilde. That's in Spanish. I know, but I think it's... It's in, in math, too? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. The thing that goes over the inye is yeah. also... A... Well, there we go. Oh, okay. We all learned something today. Okay, three wiggle. Yeah. Anyway, what have you learned? You you started this... and it, What a joy do I have to know you are now in the... You passed the terrible twos. You all are toddlers now, <laughs> three, three plus. But I got to see the, reason, <laughs> the reason why you mm-hmm. started this was... Through your Thrive experience, you learned there's some brilliant nonprofits across our city. And there's also some interesting intersection partnerships between private, public, and nonprofit sector, and nobody really knows about it. Or, in your words, people just suck telling their story. That's what you would say. <laughs> yeah. And you thought, ha, superpower is mm-hmm. I'm really good at helping people amplify their stories. Mm-hmm. Hence, Pod for Good. Did I say it right? You did. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Wow, it only took three and a half years. Three plus years. So knowing that, though, from that original reason why you started Pod for Good to now, what have you learned? What were the trends? Is now your purpose shifted? I think, at least for me, and Chris can answer this how, however he feels, I, one, like we've, Chris and I both learned way more than I think we expected to learn during this process. But it's made me think even more quickly about the issues I care about and how complicated they are. Because when you, when you care about something and you're not super engaged in it, you, you think, well, this is a problem. Like, all we have to do is A, B, and C, and then it'll be fixed. And what we've realized is it goes through the entire alphabet of problems to fix any one thing because they're all sort of interconnected because of how our society operates. And so I'm just always amazed at, one, the amount of work being done that I didn't know about already, and two, the amount of problems that are tied to every problem we care about. <laughs> so in some ways kind of depressing, but also kind of hopeful in the sense that like, for example, like the federal highway system, something I'm very obsessed with. Like I still am constantly learning more things about how it's put into place, how it's financed, who has the power now, who had the power when it started. Like I'm still learning. And until I, like I, I, I will never feel confident knowing that I know everything, which is good because it's impossible to know everything. And so that's kind of freeing in some ways. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So for me, okay. two things. One, it I have just really enjoyed getting to know a lot of people and about a lot of topics, right? So it's almost become things that Jesse and I want to know more about, and we <laughs> figure other people will too, right? So we've stopped trying to think, what would our audience want to know about? Because I'm not going to say our audience is just like us, but they're probably going to have some of the same curiosities Mm -hmm. that we do. So that's part of it. The other is that 
it is depressing how many problems in Tulsa specifically, but beyond that, are tied to structural racism. You brought up the highway system. Yep. Structural racism. Yep. Um, how our how, schools are funded. Structural racism. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know. the court system. Structurally racism. Yes. Which recently we learned that we always thought about it in terms of criminal justice. The civil justice system is arguably worse Ugh. because there's no right to counsel there. So just finding about, you know, so we do end up finding out about all these problems that we knew nothing about. So you have like many issue days. Yes, we like do. Arrive. We That's do. what this is. It is. Um, wow. But it is similar to the issue days. We also do get to talk to people who are putting in the work mm -hmm. to try to um, fix it and give them the opportunity to ask for help, you know, and there have been a few of our guests that have had, you know, some success stories come out of that in asking for help, which is great for us. Sometimes, um, you know, we get guilted in on the podcast while recording to be involved in things like when Dr. Crutcher was like, you're going to come to one of our w community walks, right? And we did. And, and it was did. great. It was great. It was so much, it was so much fun. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do it again. Just every time they ask me, like something horrible has happened in my life. Uh, so I've had, I've had to bypass, but yeah, Chris and I learned a lot that day. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was an area of town that I thought we were going to find a lot more agreement on, on the issues. And we did not. And that was, it was, it. A, it, was a, it was an interesting mix of people. I don't know if you've ever done the community walks with the Crutcher Foundation, but it's interesting going into a community where you probably don't know anyone and just going door to door and talking to people, mm. asking them what's important to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the world is not a monolith. I mean, that people, places. Yeah. We would, we went to a particular area and most doors we went to, we got different answers. Yeah. And you know what they cared the most about? The stuff that affected them directly, which was the highway noise. Yeah. I-244. The it city was, had got rid of some trees. Yep. There was buffering noise. They cared way more about that than, you know, what was going on in national politics, mm. which I think is kind of a point. That's the day-to-day the -day stuff are what the majority of people care about, which is why, as you mentioned, yeah. uh, local elections, city council, mayor, boards, those can matter a lot more, and it's important for people to keep an eye on those because those can have the most direct day-to-day -day impact. Truth. No, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. And I think I just figured out a new a new word to use. Instead of DE and I, we're saying not a monolith studies. <laughs> is it is it working? I'm, I'm workshopping it. I like it. it. I like it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's interesting, and maybe just a call to action for everybody as a reminder, whoever's listening. Which I know it's millions, millions. Yep. Mm -hmm. At this we're, point, we're just swimming in pot for good money. Yeah, just swimming in it. Mm -hmm. Is it's not just expecting what I like, and I'm going to just shout out Terrence Crutcher Foundation with the work of Shada Brown and Dr. Tiffany Crutcher, and they're just incredibly talented team. Is they shift the conversation? It's not just the expectation that you have of leadership, but oh, I just like that. You heard that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh. It's not just the expectation, but knowing that leadership in the capacity to lead is within throughout the entire community mm -hmm. and the community leads they are the power and i think that they shift that paradigm and i appreciate that about that about the organization so my call to action for everybody listening is it's not just holding your elected officials accountable and making sure that you vote or knowing what's going on in your school but it's also maybe you know if you're a parent right now just because I'm gestating, I'm thinking of being a parent a lot, is what am I doing to teach my kiddos to ask more questions? And how am I paying attention to what's happening in a school, whether it's their PTA or in the classroom? How is discipline handled? How is my child being honored, celebrated, or challenged to learn more? How is that teacher being supported for doing that? And then the other piece is, there's so many opportunities in our civic sphere with authority boards and commissions. I know they do not sound sexy, but I need you all to Google the City of Tulsa website and the Tulsa County website and look up authority boards and commissions. There's going to be a very long list with a lot of interesting words. And a lot of them, I just feel like uh, the Keenan and Kel episode of like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I know some of these words, but 
they should have descriptions of what that authority border commission and these are entities that have been established within our local law right so that community voice is present so for example the sales tax overview committee stoc that sounds really boring right it sounds I mean, boring i think it sounds interesting to chris and i but, but, yeah. but i'm going to say it is not it is the committee that oversees and checks in on a lot of our city like bond packages the 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 ones that we vote on mm-hmm. and how they're rolling out in the city okay well this particular package that we voted on this particular tax increase was to make sure that we have this updated bridge and we fixed turkey mountain and the trails and there's going to be now dual lanes in this particular street next to the school and this particular school is going to have a nice crosswalk where there's a bike lane that kind of stuff that matters and quite frankly you've got a committee that you've got some people that have dedicated their lives it's it's great don't get me wrong but unfortunately it doesn't represent the majority of Tulsa i need your voice on that committee and that's just one of them there's so many more on the city website look at authority boards and commissions beyond the title 5 commissions but that are doing what what you might think might not sound so sexy, but it's actually where they need community Tulsa residents' perspectives. How there's support with our, our animals, or how are there support with our waste, right? Our parks. That's where government really happens. That's who our mayor, our city council, that's who they answer to. That is your represent- representation, is these committees, these authority boards and commissions. So I strongly suggest apply for them. And if you want to learn more about them, I want Leadership Tulsa to be a resource to support you and connect you. Not as a gatekeeper. No, it's, it's to bust open the gate is what it is. We need more voices at the table. And we have such a phenomenal city government team that are, are begging for that too. But sometimes just because of history... Like you had mentioned structural racism, but it could just be a lack of information and knowledge. If you grew up with your parents saying, I'm part of the blah, blah, blah board. I'm part of this authority. I'm part of this. Then you know that that's what you're going to do when you grow up. It makes sense. Your voice matters and you get to be a part of the direction, the future of your city. If you grew up never knowing about those things, and let me tell you, local Oklahoma civics class, American government class, they don't teach you. They don't. I mean, you can quote me on that. <laughs> oh, we know. They don't. Uh, if you then you didn't know anything about it, then you by design, perhaps by by ignorance, you don't get to be part of that. Your voice isn't heard. Nobody, you know, people in your own community, your network, in your street. So I just kind of want to push that. If you want to change something now and you have some time, not just serving on a nonprofit board, but really more so, what does it look like for a county authority border commission or a city authority border commission? And you can reach out to our great people from the city of Tulsa. You can just send an an email to the mayor. He's a pretty approachable guy. Or you could also send an email to Crystal Reyes, his chief resilience officer, and her office in the Resilience Tulsa office. Or you can just reach out to Leadership Tulsa. And through our programs that we do with New Voices, we try to expose people to those opportunities. Or we try to interview folks from those authority boards and commissions to demystify what they do because they give you some insight of, and this is how this resource or policy was implemented in our city. And they're everyday citizens, residents. They're everyday Tulsans. I mean, I think the requirement is that you live, work, and play in Tulsa. That's that's it within the zip codes. That's all. That was my, my call to action. I've been, wanting, like I, I've been wanting to get on one of those for a while, so I just need yeah. to do it and apply. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things I, I, I would like to see how the government actually operates, and that's one way of doing it. So mm-hmm. I also owe that to KJ because I told her I'd do that a while ago. So <laughs> there you go. Well, so one yeah. one last thing: Are there any upcoming uh, dates, events, anything like that for Leadership Tulsa oh. that you want to throw out there yeah. before we wrap up? I should. I should. Oof! You put me on the spot. Yeah. This whole so, interview. Here listen, it goes. I can pause it. We're about. We are fifty years old this year. Wow. Leadership Tulsa is fifty years old. We're going through the midlife, y'all. The midlife. <laughs> you can buy a Corvette or so. Uh, <laughs> this is the opportunity for us to celebrate where we've been, also have an intentional pivot and reflection of where should we be going moving forward. Is what we've been doing perpetuating an inequitable system, or are we really helping and equipping leaders to lead in a thriving Tulsa for all? Right. So, in our 50th anniversary year, we have a lot of 
newer type of programs, a little bit more focus on honoring our past, but celebrating that leaning with curiosity and leading towards the future. And we also have our big anniversary weekend so our alumni can come together. It's in September. Check out our website. We'll have more information on there. And it's an opportunity for you to gather a big homecoming where alumni from across the 50 years can connect and learn from each other and what's happened since then, their experience. And there's also an opportunity of a day of service because at the end of the day, that's what Leadership Tulsa is about. We're here to serve, serve one another, serve our city. And then there's an intergenerational opportunity where we can connect with the Tulsa Changemakers, which is our youth programming arm at Leadership Tulsa. And I love that because remember in Thrive, we learned leadership is not a position, it's an action. Anyone can lead from where they're at. And we are, I mean, <laughs> these leaders aren't, we're not equipping them to lead tomorrow. They are leading today. It's fifth through 12th graders, I think some of them are even younger in elementary, are leading today. They're being taught to, to listen, listen, act, listen to themselves and what their thoughts and contexts and perspectives are, listen to their community, which is their classroom, mm-hmm. and then design some sort of strategy, campaign, intervention, project that's going to make their community better. Act. I think that that's powerful. Imagine that crop of leaders coming up. They're going to demand a better Tulsa, don't you? Yeah. They're gonna, yeah. We got to do better. So that you can be part of that homecoming weekend extravaganza in September or everything up until then and throughout this year. We have specific alumni engagement events, but we are calling them community outreach events because we understand by design when we say alumni engagement, it's great to celebrate you all that you went through our program, but not everybody may have had the access or privilege to do so. And if we're really truly leadership Tulsa and everyone belongs in Leadership Tulsa, because this is our Tulsa, we're shifting our focus and calling them community events. And they are. We're trying to experiment with different perspectives and avenues on providing workshops that are relevant to community. Mm -hmm. An example is one that we just kind of kicked off. It is the personal branding series. We partnered with Naomi Sinan. And Naomi went ahead and we also partnered with Gyro. I think I may be saying his name wrong. I'm so sorry. apologize. He's phenomenal, but a photographer. So that you get to learn through this series and it's available to you, whether you went through a program or not, it doesn't matter. You can log online and register. And it's, you can learn how to do a a LinkedIn profile little blurb. Those powerful couple of sentences at the beginning that says, Jesse, coming to a theater new you, you know, like something (laughs) like that. Or, and then also having, how do you negotiate your like your brand, your negotiating in, in a negotiating setting, or how do you intentionally network? All of those are going to be leading up into a series, and you have the opportunity to also have a professional headshot where you're going to be coached up, thinking, okay, actually, Chris, your left side. I don't know who told you. It's actually your right side that's better. You need to do that one, okay? But just showing you how to pose and what you want to get out of a headshot. And I mean, a headshot alone, other than having a corporate job, imagine the access to having a $25 headshot in general. That mm-hmm. could be a career changer for somebody that's wanting to transition careers and knowing that that's how people are looking at applications through LinkedIn or other social media platforms. That's what we're offering. There's also a really great opportunity that we're partnering with. This is just, we're calling it our Equality Indicators Data Summit Series. We're partnering with Community Service Council, the City of Tulsa, and the Tulsa Area United Way And we're going to have a series of just four sessions, and we're going to dive into a theme in the equality indicators. And when you dive into that theme, you're going to see the data. We're going to teach you a data analysis skill. So you're going to practice using it. And then we're going to have some kind of like small group discussions of what do we do about this now? You know what I mean? Like, okay, we now know the information. What can your org do? What can I do from my locus of control? What what can we do about this? Mm Mm-hmm. We come up with, I mean, actual tangible ideas and connections, hopefully, instead of, you know, that report the city did. It was nice. It looked nice, didn't it? No, mm-hmm. we're going to actually try to internalize it, interpret it, reflect, and hopefully apply it in our everyday work. Yeah. And that's that's neat. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to be a data nerd to love it. I mean, we can become one together. But but you can. But you can okay. be. You're welcome. We're, we're not excluded. I'm Me- just... <laughs> Melanie Poulter will love you. She's our, <laughs> our lead data nerd. Ah. Nerdist. <laughs> But that's, those are some examples of some of our community events that we're hosting, alumni and community events. And, of course, any one of our programs that you want to be a part of, find us on our website, leadershiptulsa.org. And if you have any questions whatsoever, give us a call. Or you can reach out to me, my email, marcia 
M-A-R-C-I-A at leadershiptulsa.org. I appreciate you all. And thanks again, Pod for Good. You make me incredibly proud. Thanks for gestating us. Yeah, <laughs> you're ridiculous. You make me incredibly <laughs> proud for, for being a Tulsan. <laughs> and, uh, and just like I started Leadership Tulsa over five years ago, I said, I unapologetically am investing in your success because I want a better Tulsa for my babies. Mm-hmm. So I need a better Tulsa since I'm making more babies now. So there's <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. you y'all, y'all, y'all did a great job. Three and a half years. This is a phenomenal program. Thank you. Listen, you, you might be the second guest to make Chris and I cry on a podcast. Good. But um, <laughs> Marcia, thank you so much. Yeah. Like, this is great. I'm not going to do our normal outro. No one listens anyway. So, but... <laughs> Uh, please subscribe. Check out Leadership Tulsa. They're amazing. Uh, just don't do their class during COVID. Um, <laughs> as always, Tulsa, get it done. Broken Arrow, get your shit together. Stay safe out there. If you're like me, you might hear estate planning and go, ugh, gross. You might think to yourself, I'm not sure why I'd bother with that. Estate planning is only for the uber rich. Tallgrass begs to differ. Tallgrass founding attorneys Laurel and Riley think everyone should have an estate plan. They know estate planning seems untouchable to a lot of folks, like something you have to do inside a stuffy law firm of Stuffy McLawyer Pants Esquire. But I promise you, Tallgrass is nothing like that. For one, they work out of their home so their clients can feel at home. They obsess, because they're nerds, over making clients feel like they belong and are supposed to be there. Also, their kids might make an appearance. They will take time to answer all of your questions, even the uncomfortable ones. They will work relentlessly to make sure your plan is exactly what you need to feel secure and at peace. So if you've been putting off planning for what's going to happen after you've gone, it's time for you to give Tallgrass a call at 918-770-8940 and start your plan today. Or visit their website at tallgrassestateplanning.com and schedule a free initial consultation for free it's right there on the website and of course there's more because this is a podcast ad if you tell them you're a pot for good listener they're going to take 25 percent off their service fees just tell them pot for good sent you stop thinking estate planning isn't for you and give tallgrass a call today at 918-770-8940 or on their website which i'm not going to read out to you again it's in our show notes thank you tallgrass